This is my report on the Soviet question. What's your answer? I don't have one. The Kremlin is broke. So how were the Soviets suddenly on a spending spree? Paul, I need your help. Arranging an interview with Stalin. Garrett, I've been trying to reach you. Go see Walter Durante at the New York Times. Listen, I really need to talk to you. I found something big. You can break the story wide open. Paul? Mr. Giants. Mr. Durante. So why are you really here? I need your help. This is Ada Brooks. She's my star. Paul's dead. It was a robbery three days ago. What do you want? The story no one is talking about. I saw him, four bullets in his back. And you don't think it was a robbery? What was Paul working on? Ukraine. You know how rich this country is, how vast. South is nothing but wheat fields. Grain is Stalin's gold. Here's the agenda now. I don't have an agenda unless you call truth an agenda. Yes, but who's truth? What will you do when the others come forward? What's being done here will transform mankind. We can still do something. No. We cannot let Stalin get away with this. What do you expect me to do exactly? The Soviet Union is not the workers' paradise that was promised. It is not the great experiment that you read about in the press. Stalin is not the man who you think he is. Are you saying there's no hope? Welcome, everyone, to Box Office Bylines, a podcast about movies, about journalism, shining a spotlight on all the president's men and broadcasting the news up close and personal. That's my new um, intro line. Tara, what did you think? Um, I, I only heard it in the workshop phase, so it actually, up close and personal was a surprise to me, so you, you managed to end it very well. I think it sounds good. We'll we'll probably rotate. We'll try some other things out, but we want to. We're trying to increase the branding. You're never you're never satisfied. No, no, I never am. <laughs> it's a problem in my life. I am Jacob Boone up here in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, and I am Tara Thorne here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where I am experiencing one of the few things the people in this week's movie did not have to worry about, and that is a heat warning. Jacob, mm -hmm. how is, you don't have many heat warnings up there, but how is the perpetual daytime that you live in? Uh, it's very exciting. We just got nautical twilight back. What does that mean? Um, so it's, I think that means it's as dark, during the night it's now as dark as it is like when you're out at sea. Oh, that's probably we had, very beautiful. We, we, we lose night. It still gets dark. The sun goes down, but we we there's about a month in Yellowknife. Yellowknife's not that far north, where where we we only have civic twilight, which is I guess as dark as it gets in a city. Um, and we got nautical twilight back. Next comes astronomical twilight, which I've been told is indistinguishable from actual night. I don't believe that, because why would you then have a separate category? Right, and then there's and twilight then, breaking dawn part one. <laughs> August 15th, we get like 20 minutes of actual night that comes back. Oh, wow. I like that, that you know the date and the length of the nighttime. Are you going to stay I up for I put them us? in my calendar. 
<laughs> yeah, I might stay. Do a time lapse. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of heat waves or shining sun here in this movie about a Welsh journalist in Britain who goes to Moscow and then the Ukraine. Ukraine, sorry. Just Ukraine, no the. Just um, Ukraine, no the. I will just say off the top, I'm very angry at you for making me watch this. And uh, whilst watching it, the reason I'm angry is not because it's a bad movie. It's not. It's because it's so relentlessly grim and mm-hmm. depicts horrors of life that you only see in this kind of movie, which is generally a Holocaust movie. And it's not quite a Holocaust movie. Well, it's not. But it's in the area. It's in the arena. And um, I feel life is hard enough <laughs> right now <laughs> that I didn't need to see it. An historical depiction of how horrible life can be. So I'm mad at you, especially after the fun froth of The Devil Wears Prada. But I will get over it starting now. Well, listen. I mean, if you think Miranda Priestley is a bad boss, what do you hear about this Joseph Stalin guy? <laughs> if you think she's icy, <laughs> take a train. Illegally. We are, ta- <laughs> we are talking this week about Mr. Jones from two. I think we should pre- preface by saying I I am not trying to make light, of course, of anything that happened in this historical thriller. Um, but we do. I'm sure we'll have jokes throughout just because we're joking horrible people. We just need to joke to get through it. That's all. You and I, we use humor as a defense as, mechanism. Exactly. Yes. Uh, Mr. Jones, 2019, a Polish film by Polish director about a Welsh journalist who uncovers Russia's forced famine in Ukraine, uh, directed by Agnieszka Holland, uh, starring James Norton as Gareth Jones. He's uh, also in Little Women, the most recent one. John the Dud. Sorry, it's not, actually, it's not his fault. Maggie's the Dud. Wow. He's just a guy. We disagree on that as well. Oh. Vanessa Kirby as Ada Brooks. Um... Vanessa Kirby from The Crown and Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> I loved Hobbs and Shaw. By the way, the whole movie, I thought she was Vanessa Paradis. And I was like, when did she date Johnny Depp? And I also thought she dated Tom Cruise. <laughs> she didn't date either one of those people. doesn't matter. The movie where 30, 30-year-old Vanessa Kirby is supposed to be the like slightly, only slightly younger sister of 50-year-old Jason Statham. Listen, you don't know her. You don't know their mother's life. They, there's a flash. I was watching the other day. There's a flashback where the two of them are like the same age children playing together. Right. When Statham would be off in college or whatever, assassin college. Also starring Peter Sarsgaard as Walter Durante, Kenneth Cranham as David Lloyd George, and Joseph Malley. I hope I'm saying that right. As famous author, fuckboy George Orwell. <laughs> Um, 1984 was the number of names he had in his little black book. (laughs) So this film uh, loosely tells sort of a historical thriller. That was the description I heard, which is a nice blending of genres. Uh, Loosely tells the story of Gareth Jones, journalist from Wales, who in 1933 travels to the Soviet Union and helps uncover and expose the truth of the Holodomor, which um, is... Uh, man-made famine sorry i was just looking for that phrase man-made famine uh that over the course of i think one year one to two years 1933 to 34 killed um depending on who you ask four to ten million ukrainians Mm -hmm. recognized by ukraine and 15 other countries including canada i believe as a genocide um so it's 
Yeah, not a happy summer movie. Yeah, I mean, you do get to see Peter Sarsgaard's butt at it, like a opium party. But generally, there's some drug use that makes it seem like it's going to be fun, but it's just, it really, there's, it's not. It's not a romp of any kind. But, uh, but I felt a very good movie. I really love this. Mm-hmm. I, we, I don't know you if did. we disagree so much on that, but I don't think you liked it as much as I did. I think I'm in the complete wrong headspace to watch it is all. <laughs> so I was, yeah, I was. It's not, it, it wasn't a choice for like my time, 5 p.m. on a sunny summer, like Wednesday right. afternoon. Um, I wrote down in my notes, the perfect movie for our time. Oh, when you, you told me that and I thought you were joking. No. Um, okay, well, can you t- explain to me why you, <laughs> you feel that way? Uh, I think we should... Let's talk about the movie first, and then I'll get into some of the okay. journalism uh, aspects. So I'll just – this is new. I mean, it was last year. It did the festival circuit, and it's just out on streaming now, which is the only way things are released. So, um, you know, highly recommend people check it out. But it's uh, the movie, and this is straight from Wikipedia. I apologize. But an ambitious young journalist who has gained some renown for his interview with Adolf Hitler. That part's true, which is – I uh, want like there's there are some fun aspects and one of them is Gareth Jones this young journalist who scored this interview with Hitler aboard a plane very almost famous style and <laughs> he constantly brings that up as a way to like get the next assignment like did like did you read yeah. my Hitler interview <laughs> which wouldn't you let well let's not forget that people loved Hitler in the beginning they did for a little bit there was some uh, uh, disagreement. And I guess there was some, historically, there there was some perception for a little bit that Gareth Jones was, like, a fan as well of Hitler, but he was apparently one of the first people who recognized the anti-Semitism and wrote about that. Ah. So, yeah. Um, so thanks to his connections, uh, Jones's connections to a former British prime minister, he's able to get official permission to travel to the Soviet Union, where he intends to try to interview Stalin, Katie Weaver style. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps landing these big interviews. Uh, Katie Weaver and Gal, it's like, it's like Gareth and Stalin go to have borscht together. <laughs> to, uh, but he wants to actually find out more about the Soviet Union's economic expansion and its apparently successful five-year development plan, even though he feels there's no reason that could be true because their economy's collapsing. How are they buying and spending so much? So Jones is restricted to Moscow, but he jumps his train and eludes his you know, government-sanctioned, what would you call it, chaperone source? Spies? There's so many spies There's a lot of spies. For a while, it's a very uh, spy movie sort of thriller. Mm-hmm. Like, very. Uh, what was that very good East German movie? Or about East Germany? Uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, sure. Any of those. Where it's <laughs> One like, of those. Like, oh, the where Soviets are watching. you have to watching. turn the radio on. Turn the radio yeah. on and let's dance. So they think we're dating. And then burn everything. But I, yeah, and then burn everything. Um, and then he arrives in Ukraine about like 45 minutes to an hour in, and we end up with a very somber, bleak, horrific, um, sequence where he discovers, uh, all of the evidence of the Holodomor, empty villages, starving people, cannibalism, and on his return to Britain, he struggles to get his story taken seriously. We can talk about all of that, but yes, it's, it's sort of if Bellatar directed, a combination of Heart of Darkness and Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. 
I love how much you bring up Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. That's a weird. That's we should get to one. that. This is our first war-ish movie. It's not, no one's actually at war, but it's kind of that. You know, I'm an arts journalist. All this stuff with the spying and the uh, typing things for people to read and then setting them on fire and, uh, you know, worrying about spies that are actually there everywhere, I would find it to be a very exhausting career. <laughs> and like the, It's literally life or death in this time. Oh, my God. You know, most, like, movie reporters who we often have that movie reporter who's going to, like, do anything for a story. He's going to, like, dig through and really uncover things that no one wants him to find. But it's really just reading documents. (laughs) And there's often the realization very late in the plot that powerful people might be after him and his (laughs) loved ones. Here, Jones arrives in Russia... The first thing he learns is that his journalist buddy who invited him was murdered for trying to report this same story. Like four bullets to the back. And he's still knowing that like this isn't like, oh, you ask a question someone shouldn't. Like he he's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, sneaks off the one train, jumps onto another one like just in the steerage car. And no No. plan, no contacts. Yeah. No idea of what awaits him. Heads off into oh, the starvation it, it's so zone. bad right away. He knows right away how bad it's going to be when he gets onto the train of people and throws, I thought it was bread, but he's like eating an orange and he throws the peel onto the ground and all of the children come around because they don't have food. Yeah. So like it's, that's a fictionalized version of of a real incident that apparently happened where some soviet official on a train that he was on was telling him no no no, there's no hunger people here they have plenty to eat and jones like took the crust of his like a hard crust of bread and threw it into the like waste receptacle nearby and the whatever he called the ticket guy came and dug it out immediately to eat it and then he did the same with like his orange peel mm-hmm. just to like prove a point yeah, because all their grain was being stolen from a very fertile farmland. It was being stolen to send yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, because he that's so he he bumbles off the train and then he bumbles into this grain running immediately, <laughs> and then yeah. immediately they're also like, "Wait, this guy isn't right." So he, he start trying to arrest mm-hmm, and shoot immediately, him, and then he just runs off into yeah. the woods. And then something that that Holland does is very cool, is. Basically, at this point in the movie when he's running into the woods is when most of the color is gone. So yeah. it's just leached. It's like black trees, white snow, and uh, it looks amazing. Yeah, it's it's like almost black and white. It's And it's subtle that it's kind of happening at first because I think, I think it's happening throughout the entirety of the movie. Yeah. And uh, maybe I could go back and watch. But like when he's in England, he's in very academic settings. So we have a lot of warm light. A lot of like wood paneled bookcases. Very brown. And and, yes. And then by nature of him going to brutalist Soviet Moscow, suddenly there's a lot more stone in the background, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. more grays. And snow. And then by the time we arrive in wintry open field Ukraine in the middle of winter with all this rotten black wood and farmhouses, yeah, it's like they definitely do it. She definitely like leeches the color out. But yeah, it's, it's, it's throughout the film. It's not like suddenly there's like this interjection of a black and white mm-hmm. sequence. So it's, yeah, I it is really, man, it's hard when he gets <laughs> there. 
And it's not a pleasant sequence. No, and it's a, it's an almost a good hour long. It's not. Um, yeah. It's it's the bulk of the movie and the sort of realization that we all had. It's like you read one. It's one thing to read it, read the synopsis, but then um, when you realize what's going to happen, like he's on the road and there's a baby screaming, and this this wagon goes by him and it's full of bodies, and then. They pan down, and the mother of this baby is dead. They throw her body on the thing, and then they pick up the baby, which is alive, and they just throw it yeah. on top of the body pile and go away. It's and that's not like, even the worst thing. Because like you're not gonna come back later. No, you're on your rounds now. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know what's gonna happen. It's like no, they're not trying to save anyone. You know what I mean? It's not a rescue issue of any yeah. kind. It's a, it's a gathering. It's a you know, clean up effort. Um, the other thing I noticed, particularly in that sequence, but again, is throughout the movie, is the Foley work whenever anyone's eating. Yeah, there's a ton of eating in the movie to the point where I was like, I felt like um, Mr. Jones actually wouldn't be that hungry. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> Why don't you save you? Well, he wasn't. They go to like a ham lunch yeah. when he's back in England, and like yeah. he just looks at the roast and he's like, "No, I'm I'm good." Yeah, but he does also get his food stolen by ruffian yeah. children, who, to be fair, um, are very hungry. <laughs> they and they sing a yeah, song no, to distract it's him. It's all fair. It's it's something else. You're right. It's very good. I just it just ru- ruined my life. Is all. There's like one fancy meal he eats before he's like trying to get to the ukraine like on a train so he's gonna probably skip and jump but he just still needs permission to get closer and it's like this moscow official who's eating like caviar and whatever aspic and jellied fish or whatever they're gonna have and you're hearing every slurp Mm -hmm. and chew and mouth noise um but also then when he's starving and he's cutting little strips off this like frozen stale loaf of bread he's got and it's like the 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 knife work and like you, you i don't know it's it like the the other stuff is very gross but here you're like hearing this like struggle of him where he's like struggling to swallow it and he's like this this relief in his breath as he finally gets some food into him and as it's a film about hunger and this forced starvation i think that's really interesting like how do you show that in a medium mm-hmm. of picture and mm-hmm. sound Aside from, you know, yeah, just children acting hungry, but, like, you need to get across that visceral feeling of just pure starvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one. It really is. And uh, it's a lot of children. It's, I mean, there are adults as well, yeah. but it's it, you're really seeing it on the children. And uh, it's a grim go. Uh, Vanessa Kirby... Not Vanessa Paradis. Kind of useless. Um, yeah, she her part's unfortunate. I felt like I feel like she's pretty good. I I liked her in um, I liked her in Hobbs and Shaw, and I liked her in whichever Mission Impossible she was in. I think she was the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think she's good, but yeah, her part is bad, and um, she spends one night with Gareth, and you're like, oh, they're probably gonna sleep together, and but he has to leave, and she has some sort of like fit about it <laughs> that did not feel. Did they even to me. actually sleep together? Like have sex? They like he spends the night and they're like yeah, just they next to each other. But yeah, because she was dating the guy his murdered died. buddy. Yeah, and so she tries to warn him away because she doesn't want someone else to die, feeling guilty that she didn't properly warn this other dude. 
And so, yeah, she has like a hysterical sort of crying fit, breaking down because he's going to leave. And then there's a later scene that's very good, but very creepy and gross, where uh, Peter Sarsgaard, as her editor, dictates the article she's supposed to write refuting Gareth Jones's work. And then she crosses it with a red pencil, very dramatically. Journalism. To be fair to the movie, I feel like women did not have much part in any of this. And then he like in power positions. So at the time, yeah, yeah, right. Um, because written by a woman and directed by a woman, yeah, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. but um, was Ada Brooks a real person? Do you know? Uh, no, I believe it's sort of a, a composite, composite character, yeah. but not of anybody, mm-hmm. or maybe specific. It, nothing that I've read mentions any particular names, though. I'm sure this would the screenwriter. I'll get to it in a minute, but uh, she put like 15 years worth of research into this, so wow. I'm sure she could mention a couple names mm-hmm. of people. I mean, Ada Ada sort of exists to give Gareth some inside information and tell him the ropes and and mm-hmm. have a confidant in. But yeah, there is definitely an angle of like, are they going to do it? Is he? Are they in love? Like, and it, and it never amounts to anything. So it's sort of I've been unfortunate. It actually, would have been better if there wasn't any mm-hmm. uh, question of that kind of thing. Because it's really, there's no time in this movie <laughs> for anything like that. Even if you do want to go to an opium party, there's no time. And they're like doing, they're, the other woman that we see um, does heroin openly <laughs> at this yes. party right in front of him. Like, uh, it's all the foreign correspondents. They mm-hmm. just get to dance around at this like drug orgy and have sex with each other. <laughs> and presumably lots of drugs and women provided by soviet officials mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to stop them from asking questions and probably have blackmail material on them so speaking of blackmail you know what's interesting to me that i've been thinking in the last couple of years as long okay, as go ahead. as you know who has been in office <laughs> okay um, and you know i also watched i thought every you were going to describe like a new career path for no yourself. i uh you know i watched every minute of the impeachment trials and heard lots about ukraine and and you know putin 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 and it's like it's just like such a throwback for Russia to be in the news. Um, But you forget, there's a good Hank Hill line about how um, everyone was so afraid in the Cold War, but that's before we knew the Russians were incompetent. Um, But they were very good at spying. (laughs) You forget about all of the, like, of like what a what a horror as a nation it has been through the years. So it's sort of interesting to me that that Russia's back in the news because it was kind of like, didn't we defeat this? Isn't it over? Um, so in that way, it, it it's not. A, I don't know if it's a movie of our time, but I think it's an interesting parallel that we are still talking about Russia in 2020, like what a hundred years later almost. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that wasn't a deep thought, but I have been thinking a lot lately about just just Russia and the Soviets, and you know, like Rocky Three or whichever one he <laughs> fought the Russian in. It's just Rocky like Four. It's, Rocky Four. It's just like a bygone time. It's interesting. This is why I think it's a really great movie for right now. Okay, we're getting there. Tell me so, more. So to start off with, um, a very pointed line when when Jones is giving his speech about being on the plane with Hitler and all these like old journalists or whatever political figures listening, they're, they, they kind of like downplay it. And there's a line where he says, Hitler will soon learn there's a great deal of difference between holding a rally and running a country. Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but mm-hmm. you only need to do the former. 
Uh, so also all the spying that you mentioned, the burning of messages, you know, that info security, also kind of relevant right now as yeah. the government, our governments spy on everything we do and corporations do the same. Mm-hmm. Although to um, be fair, uh, in the in this movie's era, it was a lot harder. Now we're just yeah. carrying a thing in our pocket. It's like <laughs> a, a gateway to everything. Yeah, they don't need people to follow us. We, <laughs> we gave that ourselves. up for them. Yeah. Um, there's a great press conference where where some Soviet guy announces, you know, they've arrested six British contractors. Doesn't say why, just that they've arrested them. And then he's like, "We're not going to have any questions." And he goes to leave. And all the reporters from the foreign press are like, "What? What do you What do you mean no questions?" And there's this shock of like, "What? This is a break of decorum. <laughs> How could you?" Yep, you're right. Also, I think one like it's it's a film about hunger, but but it's a film about a duty to the truth, mm-hmm. um, which gets talked about a lot in journalism, and we talk a lot right now. I think about objectivity versus the truth. Um, there's a great passage in um, Robert Caro's book, Working or On Working. I forget the name of it. I have it, but he talks about how he's always felt like um, you know there is no one objective point of view everyone brings everything to it to what happens to them and how they see things and you have to filter through that and you have to weigh things um including your own but there is a truth there's true facts and there's a truth of life um and the more you pursue things and the more you learn other people's biases the more you're able to focus in on what's actually true and there's a serious question in the last third of this movie about whether Jones should tell his story and what it accomplishes if he does. Uh, he actually puts out a press release. He doesn't write a, a, a news story. I think he wrote later things, but it was a more of an event to like have a press release and describe it, a lengthy one, to the other journalists who would go cover it. And George Orwell, who's in this for some reason. <laughs> I, sometimes you would cut to him and I'd be, I was like, yeah. who's this? <laughs> He like meets him and he tells him, you know, because Jones is trying to. They base they tell him like, if you say anything about what you saw, we're gonna kill these six innocent people we've arrested. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he has to weigh that like, if he says something, these six people die. Maybe he gets killed too, but six people who had nothing to do with anything die. If he doesn't say anything, millions more continue to die. Mm-hmm. So how do you decide? And Orwell tells him, you know, just like the the only duty you have is to tell the truth, and that's all you can be told. And even since then, like in decades since, Holodomor has been used uh, for political conversations by, you know, right-wing politicians like Ronald Reagan to about how bad the communists are to even like uh, uh, leftist writers to, to, to describe their point of view. And ultimately, there's this truth of like four to ten million people who died. We don't even know how many, <laughs> but like millions of people died because of a hunger that they didn't need to die from. There's a truth. Side note, Orwell tells him to do it, and then he does it, and he's like, I don't know. It ruins his life. Oh, yeah, Orwell. <laughs> Orwell's like, yeah, Orwell's know, like actually, oh, now that I've heard just... it out loud, I don't know that you should have said that. Well, it's the crazy thing, too, because Durante, who's the villain, and we'll get to him in a second, mm-hmm. um, he refutes it, and he's held up as this great architect of the United States recognizing the USSR, opening diplomatic relations which allows an influx of money and the soviet union can looks more legitimate and presumably opens some dialogue about being allies whenever when this hitler guy goes off (laughs) 
But does that matter? No, because they're like you you put the the truth out and he ruins his life for doing so. So every movie about sorry, I'm I'm a little passionate about this right now, but no, every movie it. about these big stories that these reporters are chasing, you know, it we all we talk about how it's like a, a detective story and instead of catching the killer, they publish basically and their bylines on it and it brings down some big corporation or big political figure even if we don't see the pure fallout of who usually in the end credits we'll find out this person didn't actually serve jail time or something but they they get the reward the truth has been put out in the world you know the reporter looks at their byline on the paper and nods like knowingly and then back to work back to the grind to get the next story out here in real life and in the movie jones is immediately discredited mm-hmm by many other media sources, including the fucking New York Times. (laughs) He's ruined. He has to return to his tiny Welsh home, live with his dad. Yeah. Work for some podunk community paper. No offense to community papers all over the world. But this guy was on a plane with Hitler a year ago. Never kissed Ada Brooks once in his life. Nope. He School children laugh at him in the street. (laughs) Like, actually, they they yell at him. They run him down just to make fun of him. And I don't know. There's, there's something very real about that in the way, and I think a way we've seen in every scandal about Trump that gets put out in the press where people don't care or they move on or they mm-hmm. ignore it or they don't. It's There's this idea that truth matters in its impact but it doesn't always it matters historically and it matters for the people involved but Uh, another another point is that we've seen during the pandemic is uh media companies sort of taking it as an excuse to finally do what they wanted to do which is slash and burn because most Mm -hmm. media companies are not media companies anymore they're just they're just conglomerates of whatever advertising or or advertisers or or rich rich right-wing people or whatever and we're like things are being gutted and like a ton of people were let go from new york mag this week and it's just like they're just dismantling journalism live in front of us. So it's like there's not even like basically all we've got right now is people filming shit on the streets of the U.S. and putting it on Twitter. That's journalism right now because there's yeah. no money anywhere else. Like that's the only public awareness of what like think about that. If people didn't have cell phones, what we wouldn't have seen over the last two months mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is terrifying. And um, I was remarking recently uh, all the police officers or, um, I don't know, like Karen's throwing groceries around because <laughs> someone wanted them to wear a mask. Like, those people all have cameras in their faces. They know they do, and they're still doing all their awful things because they know nothing will happen to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's really no accountability right now. It's it's very messed up. I need a break. I know. <laughs> can I can we feel take it. a break? You need to catch your breath. I'm going to go walk around the block, okay. come back. Want some tea? Here's the agenda now. I don't have an agenda. Unless you call truth an agenda. Yeah. Yes, but whose truth? The truth. There is only one kind. That's so naive. Journalism is the noblest profession. You follow the facts wherever it leads. 
You don't take sides. Welcome back to Box Office Bylines. Uh, we are talking, of course, about Mr. Jones' 2019 film, unfortunately titled. Yeah, it, that's a huge um, uh, song, but also it sounds like a romantic comedy. Well, if you know nothing, even if you're like the biggest Gareth Jones stan, <laughs> how are you going to know this is about him? Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to Mr. Jones in the movie, his community editor pal, his like school. There's a scene where like he's forced to go back because he's been discredited and <laughs> he meets up with his old like school chum who's like, oh, good to see you here. And he like gives him a job as Aww. reporter at this little newspaper. And he's just unfailingly friendly and nice. And this is this great moment where this editor sees Jones like head in hands at his desk. His life is ruined. He's absolutely crestfallen. And this dude's like, oh, did those church ladies refuse to talk to you? <laughs> and then consoles him with like, no rush, just file your copy, whatever you'd like. Um, but the real Gareth Jones wasn't there for long. I'm not sure if he did actually uh, go to some Welsh newspaper. I'm sure he had to make... He didn't live very long. So yeah, a couple years after his reporting in Moscow, he went to, by this time, I think... You know, World War II was kicking off. And he went to Japanese-occupied Mongolia, where while he was there, he and his traveling companion, a German journalist, they were kidnapped by bandits. Uh, his friend, or his companion, was released on this weird pretext of being allowed out to raise ransom to get Gareth Jones. But then two days later, Jones is shot and killed. His body is found. Now, a BBC investigation many years later, uh, found the Chinese contact who had loaned Jones a car to travel Mongolia was an NKVD agent, Soviet secret intelligence group, and uh, the German journalist, his companion who he traveled with, also may have been, and it's possible the Soviets also informed this group of bandits where and when Jones would be entering their territory. So it's nothing official, but very likely that he was murdered because he pissed off the Soviets. This is what I'm saying. This is like, you had to worry about this stuff. Mongolia. Also, how long did it take for him to get there? It's not like he could hop a plane. No. He was... Wow. He liked to it was just a real hard slog. He died on the eve of his 30th birthday. Aww. And it was a year before the world learned about Holodomor, which would have proved everything he said to be right. Right. Wow. Um, I also want to talk about Walter Durante. Someone I wasn't familiar with. No, me either. Um, so Durante was Moscow bureau chief for the New York Times for several years. And he received a Pulitzer Prize for a series of reports about the Soviet Union in 1932. And still to this day, calls to revoke that prize. Um, the Times in 1990 wrote that his articles, which denied the famine and, and uh, refuted Jones constitutes some of the worst reporting to ever appear in this newspaper yeah and again for a film about the times when you have your barry weiss is quitting and your james bennett's yeah. resigning after horrible mm -hmm. opinion pieces and a talk about what the new york times and what legacy media is here was this you know elite of the upper crust he was well beloved in the new york journalism scene because mm -hmm. he was off in some far off exotic locale and his word meant more than this first-person account by some nobody reporter who had had one big hit before this. 
Yeah. And it's not like he was conducting himself amazingly while there. No. And in fact, one of the theories about why he may have been so friendly to the Soviets is they may have had blackmail material on him, uh, his sexual interests at the time. I'm not sure if that means he was actually gay. He was married to a woman. Oh, yeah, I think it probably just means gay. The movie heavily implies. Well, hang on, though, because the woman he was married to was the mistress of Aleister Crowley, the English magician. Obviously. Who Walter Durante apparently got involved in some of the occult magic scene back in England at the time. Wow. Uh, so he may have had all sorts of weird interests. He definitely um, had a fun life. I mean, he like for well, being evil and everything, he lived it up. But yeah, he defended in the New York Times the necessity of basically the Soviet Union killing people. He he uh, literally he wrote, "You can't make an omelet without breaking eggs." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. About people being killed so that the Soviet Union could continue. Um, called any report of a famine in Ukraine to be malignant propaganda, though privately in his correspondence, he was fully aware of the genocide. He told the British embassy at the same time that at least 10 million, that 10 million people, I don't know about at least, but 10 million people may have died in a single year. So he's willingly ignoring what he knows to be the truth so he can publish things that are friendly to Soviet interests. And he still, uh, he held onto his prestige. You know, he, he, there's this reception, the film has it as well, where basically the United States had recognized the Soviet Union as a legitimate country, open diplomatic ties. And so I think that's what the reception was like celebrating. And a critic for The New Yorker wrote that at this dinner event, everyone's, the guest names are being announced and everyone gets polite applause. And they announce Walter Durante and a prolonged pandemonium of applause wow. greeted him. That it was held up that he was like the one who helped us be allies with this great country in the East. Um, in 2003, the Times hired a Russian history professor at Columbia to review the whole of Durante's work, not just his Pulitzer writing. And that person ruled for wrote that for the sake of the New York Times' honor, they should take the Pulitzer Prize away. And the paper's publisher even published a letter calling it all slovenly work that he he should not be recognized for his role. And nevertheless, Pulitzer Prize Board has declined to revoke the award to this day. Classic. Why? Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. One of the great institutions. They just support each other. So on that dour note, you want some <laughs> trivia? <laughs> How much trivia could there possibly be? Um, a little bit. So if remember he was George... filming Little Women at the same time, like that, I'd be interested. Yeah, too. there's actually a lovely, fun interview where he <laughs> took um, the director Holland to the premiere in England. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe they both had dates, but she was at least invited. And the two of them were interviewed about this film coming out of the Little Women premiere. Wow. Um. Okay. So remember George, our pal George Orwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he's in this film, and there's some indication i think a stronger indication that animal farm was written about the holodomor and the ukrainian genocide and famine um there's i think less indication though it's a theory by um orwell's descendants maybe i don't know that the farmer farmer jones is named after gareth jones i don't know if that's true it's a very common name maybe Um, so he's in this movie. He It's bookended with scenes of him writing Animal Farm and passages from Animal Farm. And at one point he shows up for this lunch. 
Now, if you recall, when we 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 watched this film together, we co-watched, and you were very upset to learn that the running time was two hours and twenty minutes. Yeah. And I said, "Well, no, that's not right because the the, you had the, the file. file we have in front of us yeah. is only two hours." So apparently, there's twenty minutes of excised footage since the film's premiere in Berlin in two thousand nine. Pretty much all of it involving Orwell. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Or- so we there was originally 20 more minutes of George Orwell in this movie. We really don't need him. No, not not all that helpful. Um, also worth noting that Gareth Jones, even though his reporting was attacked in um, much of the English-speaking world in his short life, he's remained a hero in Ukraine for exposing the genocide. Um, there's also a plaque in his honor that was recently installed at his own university in Wales, funding of which was provided by largely in part by the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Very nice. Speaking of Canada, uh, did I say 2009 for the film's premiere? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> A little bit? Okay, 2019, sorry. Because um, I'm looking at 2000. What is time right now? We don't know. <laughs> um, the first public monument to the Holodomor was erected in 1983 just outside of Edmonton City Hall. Oh. Um, Saskatchewan was actually the first jurisdiction in North America to recognize it as a genocide. I'm assuming the many Ukrainian... Uh, refugees and immigrants who went to the prairies had something to do with that. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little about uh, Agnieszka Holland. Do you know her work? I know she made a movie in Halifax in 2002. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. What movie? Yeah, it's called Julie Walking Home. And so William wow. Fitchner's in it and Miranda Otto. But I didn't see it. That is all I know. <laughs> Holland, like... One of the most famous names in Polish cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, she's won an Oscar. Uh, not that that's like a huge indication of talent. But um, she's won many other in- prestigious international awards. Uh, her parents were both journalists, as were eventually her stepfather. Her father, Henrik Holland, uh, died after falling through a window during a police interrogation because of his activist activities. It was labeled a suicide Labeled a suicide, commonly believed to that he was thrown mm-hmm. out of the window by police. Um, during she went to Czechoslovakia during the Prague Spring uprising, where she was arrested for her support of uh, the dissident movement for government for all the government reforms happening. During her time in prison, she uh, was put in a cell between two inmates who had fallen in love, and it became her job to pass erotic notes and messages <laughs> between them. What a nightmare. Holland said it was like phone sex and I was the cable. Aw. You don't like that? I think that's sweet. I guess maybe she didn't have to read them. Unless you're like tired and don't want to like get up to get, like <laughs> as long as it's implied you can take an hour or two yeah. before you pass the message along. <laughs> uh, until her successful 1991 film, Europa Europa, haven't seen it, Holland was barely recognized as a filmmaker in Hollywood. And uh, she eventually uh, directed, what is it called? The Secret Garden. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a filmed in England, but I think a Hollywood production. And that came about because of a chance encounter. She was on, uh, she was with future producer of her debut film, Arthur Browner, her debut like American film. Mm -hmm. And they had treated her, the studio treated her to a day at Disneyland. Fun. Oh, oh, sorry. Not the studio. The Academy treated her to a day at Disneyland because she was a nominee for a foreign Oscar. Right. Which, if that's something the Academy does with all the foreign directors who come in is give them Disneyland passes. I wish I knew about that. Imagine Bong Bong Joon-ho at Disneyland. (laughs) Or like Werner Herzog. 
<laughs> so she had a lot of difficulty making getting that movie made, Angry Harvest, and she had almost decided to give up filmmaking once and for all. But Browner convinced her he had the perfect project to her for her. And uh, during the trip to Disney, Holland, against her be- better judgment, she says, decided to ride a roller coaster with the producer. After they stepped off, she was shaking with fear, and Browner whipped out a contract from his pocket and was like, sign. And I think sort of half-jokingly, she attributes, like, producing, like, directing a Hollywood movie to just being shell-shocked after That's this funny. roller coaster ride. Which is fun from somebody who's been in, like, war zones and been, yeah. like, arrested by police. <laughs> and got, like, the Disneyland roller coaster is what really got to her. <laughs> uh, also directed several episodes of The Wire and your favorite, The Killing. Yes. Tons of stuff. She likes her bleak stuff. She likes it. Yeah. Uh, The, what else, what else, what else? I mean, this is very minor compared to what happened, but James Norton, who plays Gareth Jones, also played a classmate of Carrie Mulligan's in An Education, which of course also starred Peter Sarsgaard. Right. As the creepy pedophile professor who sleeps with Carrie Mulligan. This was screenwriter Andrea Chalupa's first ever script. Uh, She's also a journalist, written for Time, The Atlantic, Daily Beast, Forbes. Uh, Her grandfather was born in eastern Ukraine um, and witnessed the Russian Revolution from his family farm, uh, survived the Holodomor, and she writes online that this film was the result of 15 years, basically, of research and writing. That's a long time to be immersed in a subject like this. (laughs) Well, especially, well, you know, if it's your family history, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. in some respects, it's like a lifetime. But the idea first came to her in her final year of university, she writes, and it followed her to Ukraine after college and then to a road trip through Wales shortly before her wedding. Um, I imagine the Welsh trip was probably planned more because of, she was thinking about this. Uh, a- Andrea Chalupa is also the younger sister of Alexandra Chalupa, who is past co-chair of the Democratic National Committee's Ethnic Council. Uh, pro-Ukrainian activist and uh, most well-known probably right now because during the 2016 election prominent supporters of Donald Trump promoted a theory conspiracy theory that she was involved in a conspiracy with the Democratic National Convention and the Ukrainian government to undermine Trump's campaign Um, apparently in during that year uh, she kept receiving Yahoo alerts that her email was trying to be hacked into Mm. Um, she, like multiple times someone tried to people broke into her car searching through it but leaving everything behind um, a few days after one of those incidents a woman wearing flowers in her hair tried to break into her home and she received death threats you know all throughout the year so wow yeah interesting family and interesting pedigree for this um, badly titled movie yeah that more people Hopefully should see. Although, again, wait till you're already sad. (laughs) Well, Jacob, thanks for this fun summer romp set in the dead of winter in the middle of starving children. (laughs) Um, I just want to thank you so much for this treat. What are we going to talk about next week? Well, next week, since we threw it into the intro for this episode, why don't we watch Up Close and Personal? Which is what I've never seen. You know, Michelle Pfeiffer has not made a ton of movies. Um... Mm-hmm. And that's one I haven't seen. And that's a romance between her and Robert uh, Redford, which I don't care for already. He's a news director. She's his protege. It's a romantic comedy from 1996 directed by 
John Avnet? Should I? Know oh him? yeah, yeah. I What's think he has name? died. Fried green tomatoes. Yes. Wonderful film. Um, also executive producer of Black Swan. There you go. Slightly oh, he's dear. not dead then. Okay. <laughs> um, and he might be. Up close and personal. Oh, wow, 88 minutes? So that, that Al Pacino uh, movie, quick rip. Horrible. You know, I love that. Um, and that's the I Love Trouble era no, no. of journalism. <laughs> oh, wait, 88 minutes of no, the movie? I'm so sorry. He directed 88 minutes, <laughs> the Al Pacino movie. No, this is a good two hours at least, I'm sure. Okay, well, I look forward to something slightly lighter. Um, but yes, if you can if you can track down Mr. Jones, um, give it a whirl on a dark day. <laughs> Um, thank you everyone for listening. And, uh, if you want to chat with us in the meantime, we are on box bylines at Twitter. We are at box bylines on Twitter. (laughs) Got that a little wrong. Uh, Jacob's at RWJ Boone. And you can find Tara at Thorny HFX. And we will uh, see you next week and uh, good night and good luck, Jacob. Good night, crawler and good luck and good morning, glory. (laughs) Take care. Bye.